Uh, thank you again for the privilege of being able to come and preach here today. Uh, it is Eric's birthday, so it is a special day. And I'd just like to say, before I begin, um, I count Eric a friend. And uh, the, the words I would use to explain Eric, if, I, if somebody didn't know Eric and they asked me, who is Eric? And I'd say, Eric is a, is a pastor uh, with the consistent passion for the gospel. And in our world today, uh, we should all realize that that is a blessing. And I consider that a blessing uh, for this church, and I consider it a blessing uh, to be a missionary sent out from this church, knowing that that passion for the gospel remains in this place and uh, remains what is taught from this pulpit. Uh, our family is... Uh, returning to Taiwan, and we thank you for being with us, part of this journey from the beginning. Uh, We will return on June 29th. Uh, We are in the midst of praying for our visa to come through, and we ask you to join us in praying for that visa. Last time uh, when we went to Taiwan, it was processed in about three weeks. So far, we are about four weeks into this process and uh, we have about two and a half weeks before we leave for Taiwan. Uh, the story of missions seems to have a lot of footnotes with visas coming at just the right time. And so that's what we're hoping for and praying for at this time. I tell people, uh, I was just telling Eric and Joe, I said, yeah, I feel like my faith is very strong through the day, but around 11 o'clock when I try to fall asleep, that I struggle with being a man of faith. And uh, I sometimes feel more like a fool put into a situation where faith must grow. And uh, that can be true for a lot of us in our lives. So please join us in praying for that. Uh, actually, as I ask for prayer for that, please, please join my family in praying for a lot of transitional things as well. It is, it is a stress to move uh, down the block. It is a big stress to move over the Pacific And uh, I find if people say, how are you feeling? It's a tough question to ask because we're filled with mixed emotions. Uh, Sometimes the easier question to ask is, how are you feeling right now? Because I might be feeling one way right now, but four hours from now, I might be feeling something else. Are we excited? Definitely. Are we looking forward to reconnecting with our work in Taiwan? Absolutely. Are we terribly sad to be leaving family and friends? Yes. We are filled with mixed emotions. We are grateful to serve, but we also feel the weight of, um, we are already feeling the weight of transition. So please, um, please be praying with us. Now today I'm going to be praying, or sorry, um, before I pray, I'm going to be um, just sharing about what I will be preaching about. It is a, it is a sermon on uh, that I call a broken sinner and a merciful God. And it uh, approaches a, a question that I think all of us must deal with in our life. What do I do with the sin in my life? This is the question we must face. Uh, currently here in America, we live in a culture where the concept of personal sin against a holy God uh, is often scoffed at. A few years ago, I heard of a Christian camp that changed the words to Amazing Grace. Uh, They sang Amazing Grace, 
How sweet the sound that saved a person like me. Most of us are probably familiar with the song and know that it says wretch. If we change wretch to person, uh, we might as well go ahead and just change amazing grace to okay grace or average grace. The reason that it is amazing grace is because we are wretched. (laughs) Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, We have... In America, we've worshipped at the altar of self-esteem, and self-esteem has been exalted above brokenness over sin. Uh, I've heard that there is a place where almost everybody has high self-esteem. It's called prison. Self-esteem can lead to a focus on self, and a self-focus. Brokenness over sin forces us, causes us to look towards God and to throw ourselves on his mercy. God's word teaches us that not only are we sinners, but we have a tendency to sin. Therefore, not only do we need forgiveness, but we need God to change our heart. And that's what we're going to look at today. So while this is a sermon about sin, it is not a sermon on discouragement. It is a sermon on hope, and the God that gives hope to broken sinners. So please join me in prayer, and then I will read the psalm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us at all times. I thank you that in all of our lives, you give us the opportunity to live faithfully for you. And I pray that you give us that strength even today. We thank you, Father, that despite our heart's tendency to sin, that you bend us towards you. That you... Give us your word. You give us your teaching. You have given us your son. Allow us to realize your love for us, to realize that you're a merciful God, to draw us closer to you, to recognize your forgiveness, and, Father, change our heart constantly towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with, your willing, with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressor, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. 
and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in this psalm, we get an inside look at David's heart of repentance. In Scripture, you are told that David's sin, you, we're not told about David's sin for our entertainment, but so that we can learn from it. We learn here that David is confessing his sin, but he's asking God to also change him. He realizes that his only hope is to throw himself on the mercy of God. This was David's hope, and this is our hope as well. The greatest joy for a person who knows they are a sinner comes from the declaration that that sin has been forgiven. In Psalm 51, David does not stop asking at asking for forgiveness. He goes on and asks God to purify his heart. We need to learn that we need to ask for forgiveness, but also for our heart to be continually changed. We need God to change us from the inside so that we can love him more than we love our sin. So let me take a step back. This is a, is a wonderful psalm, but this psalm flows from a story. The story is found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Uh, this is a psalm that comes right after David had confronted, was confronted by the prophet Nathan and had committed adultery. In this story, we have David walking around on his palace top while the other kings were off at war. Here's David on his palace top, and he looks down, and he sees Bathsheba. He is enticed by her, and right away he sends for somebody, go get her, bring her to me. David has sexual relationships, relationship with Bathsheba and gets her pregnant. Clearly we see right away this is not the result that David was hoping for. And he goes right away into damage control. He brings Bathsheba's husband home from the front who is fighting. And he says, David says to Uriah, go home, be with your wife. And Uriah won't. So David gets Uriah drunk. Even drunk, Uriah feels while the other men are off in the front, it is not right for him to go home to be with his wife. So he sleeps in front of the palace with the servants. We see at this point that Uriah has more moral fiber than when he's drunk than David does while he's sober. What is David doing? He's trying to cover over his sin. He has another plan. Okay, fine. If Uriah won't go to be home, home to be with his wife, he sends a note with Uriah to go to the commander, put Uriah on the front lines. And as most of you know in this story, Uriah is killed. David arranged to have Uriah killed so that he could quickly marry Bathsheba and cover over his sin. 
David has a problem caused by sin, but we see that his response is right away to cover it over. It is shame-based. The idea with shame is I want to keep all of the outside relationships the same so I will cover over the sin. I, I believe that while guilt is judicial, shame is relational. It is a recognition of sin on a person's part. And in fact, it is a way that we try to deal with sin. I feel shameful, so I will cover over the sin because I'm fearful it will be exposed. Shame hides. It is far different than godly conviction. Shame covers up. Shame seeks to preserve what has been tarnished by sin, but never really deals with the sin. Think about your own life. How do you try to hide the sins in your own life? Fear, pride, and shame often combine to cause us to hide our sin. About a week ago, I was up in our attic above our garage, and we were putting down plywood because we're going to store things up there when we leave for Taiwan. And I thought, you could store anything up here, and nobody would even know. And uh, this is in some ways a, um, a, a way that we live our lives. You can walk into my house, and there's everything that you see. It's, it's the family room, the living room, the bedrooms. This is the, this is the part that is on display. But for all you know, I have, a, I have a meth factory going up above my garage. It's completely separate. You've got to go through a little square in the, in the roof of the garage to get up there. In some ways, this is how we emotionally live our lives. This is what everybody gets to see. Come on in. Welcome to my world. But this is what I have hidden away. And I believe that it can start small. David's sin started with, with lust. Or maybe even if you take a step back, it started with him not being where he should be. Because if you read that passage in, uh, in 2 Samuel, it says, while the other kings were off at war, David was walking around on his palace. And then he steps, looks down and sees Bathsheba. And what we see here is what started out as lust in David's heart ended in adultery, deception, and ultimately murder. 1 Samuel 11 ends with what is probably one of the greatest understatements in the Bible. Oh, sorry, before I said 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel is what I meant. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. But, David was, or, but God was not finished with David. God sends Nathan to speak to him. I really like Nathan. If you haven't read this story or haven't read it for a while, please go back to it. And focus in on Nathan. Nathan confronts David with his sin. We live in a world today that needs more people like Nathan. And uh, it is our hope in our family that we named our son Nathan after this prophet Nathan. And it's our desire that more than just a name, it's, it's the characteristics of this prophet Nathan that we are building into him. Somebody that in a godly way will confront sin Hopefully first and, fo first and foremost in their own life, but then in other people's lives as well. 
And if you look at the story, Nathan doesn't go straight at David and say, right away, you are that man. Nathan starts by telling a story, brings David in. In some ways, allows God the opportunity to melt David's heart and then approaches him and says, you are that man. And we see at this point when Nathan, the prophet Nathan confronts David over sin, that David's heart is changed. Now, David, in his attempt to cover over his sin, had sent Uriah to the front lines knowing that he would be killed. Is it possible that the prophet Nathan would also have been killed in confronting David? I would think that is a possibility. I see Nathan as a man of courage. Maybe in your own life, maybe there's someone that you need to confront. Let me encourage you to do that, but also do it in a wise and godly way. Recognizing that you also are a sinner. David does not lash out at Nathan. When Nathan exposes David's sin to him, he is emotionally crushed. And we see here, it says in this passage, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken your sin away. Immediately grace is given. What shame seeks to hide, while shame seeks to hide sin to preserve relationship, grace acknowledges sin, offers forgiveness, and heals relationship. This is what our God does. This is who our God is. He is a merciful, grace-giving God. And this is the background to this psalm. In this psalm, we have a heart that is crushed by sin, and we also have a God that is willing to grant forgiveness to the sinner. The good news of Psalm 51, I believe, is also the good news of the Bible. Sinners are forgiven, and their hearts are changed. These are David's two major requests in this psalm. Forgive me and change my heart. And I believe that this should be our heart our heart towards sin as well. Uh, please grab your bulletins and look at, or your Bibles. Look at um, David's first plea in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Here, David's first plea is, God forgive his sin. The only reason he can dare to come before God is because of God's mercy. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David recognizes that his only hope is the character of God. David's request for mercy is according to God's unfailing love and his great compassion. If it was up to me and I was David, I would probably go up to, to God and say, well, do you remember how I took down that giant? I'm not so bad. I took down a giant for you. We don't hear any of that from David. According to your mercy. At this point, once David's sin has become a reality to him, it is all about who God is. When he asks for forgiveness. David realizes that forgiveness is all about God's grace and nothing about God's works. Or nothing about his own good works. 
David was fully aware of his repulsiveness of his sin when he wrote Psalm 51. Look down now at verses 3 through 5. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We can learn from David's confession. He does not blame others or make excuses. It's almost a sense of like wherever he turns, his sin is right before him. And at this point, he is disgusted by it. He goes so far as not only to recognize that he has sinned, but that he has been a sinner his whole life. His whole life. He doesn't compartmentalize it, as I talked about in my garage, putting it up in one place, but he brings it completely forward. Our natural tendency is to not take responsibility for our sin. Let me challenge you today to come to grips with your own sinfulness, to recognize that you have sinned before holy God, but then, like David, to throw yourself on the mercy of God. Our problem as believers is not that we don't hate our sin, is that we like it still when we hate it. We can appreciate our need for divine mercy only when we recognize the depth of our sin. God is a righteous judge against sin, and David deserved judgment. This is why David had no hope but to plead for God's mercy. I drop down one more verse to verse 7. Here it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This phrase, purge me with hyssop, in some ways should jump out to us. I think the first question we should ask is, what is hyssop? Uh, Hyssop was a plant, and it was used by the Hebrew people at a couple significant events. In the Passover, the plant was dipped in the blood of animals and used to paint the blood over the doorframe. Hyssop was also used during sacrifices to be dipped in the, in the blood and sprinkled on the, on the people. It was used by the, Israel, uh, the Israel's priest when animals were sacrificed. David understood that when he asked God to cleanse him with hyssop, he was asking to be cleansed by the blood. The blood of the animal sacrifices pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice that would be paid. And today we recognize and completely understand that this, is, this ultimate sacrifice is Jesus Christ. David was guilty before God. His sin needed to be paid for, and it was paid for by Jesus Christ. For him, his coming Messiah. For us, the Messiah that has come and completed the work of salvation. It is only because of Jesus Christ that we can come to God and ask for mercy. This is why David could tell, or this is why Nathan could tell David that his sin was forgiven, and it is our only hope for forgiveness. So, we look at Psalm fifty-one, one through nine. We see David's first request: "Forgive my sin." But he's not finished. The psalm doesn't finish there. We look at David's next request. Verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uh, David realized that his sin had a source. His sin flowed from his heart, and the source of his sin was his heart. Uh, Just a story speaking about the source of something. Uh, Before my family moved up to the Portland, Vancouver, Washington area, we lived in the Bay Area, California, and rented a one-bedroom apartment. There was a time where we started getting infested with moths. And at first, we would kill one moth a day, and we just went, oh, did you see a moth? Moth here, moth there. Over time, we were killing five, six, seven moths a day. And it seemed like every night before we'd go to bed, Faith would ask me or I would ask her, how many moths did you kill today? And it'd be like, oh, eight, nine. But every day it was getting more, 10, 11, 12, higher and higher. Until one day I came home from, we were both teaching at the time. Faith got home before me and I came home from teaching, walked in the door. And in a rather relatively unhappy way, she said, it's out on the porch, deal with it. We'd found the source of our moths. I went outside. She had put it in a bag. It was a blanket that friends of ours had brought home and given us when they had gone on a short-term, or they had been on missionaries in Ethiopia. The blanket I had sort of rolled up and put beside my bed, which is a safe place for me just to keep things where I don't know where to put anything else. If you were to open up this blanket, it had Ethiopian moths in all various forms of life, from egg to maggot to fully grown moth. We put it in the bag, wrapped it up, and threw it out. We killed the source. Over time, the moth started going away. If we had just left that blanket... We would have continued to kill as many moths as we needed every day. But there were new moths the next day. We had to get to the source. And in the same way, if all we're doing is saying, forgive my sin, forgive my sin, but not dealing with the source of our sin, we have a problem. I recognize that if you are a believer... You have been given a new heart. This is a promise and a gift from God. Your heart is changed towards him. But this does not mean that you are still not in a battle with sin. You need to be fighting. When I taught high school Bible class, uh, I had a boy come to me and he said, Mr. Jansen, I'm struggling with some of the things that I'm looking at on the internet. And I said, praise God. And he looked at me, he says, why did you say that? I said, I'm a high school Bible teacher. You don't think that I know that half the kids in this school are also struggling, but you had the courage to come to me? I said, you're one in 50 kids who's actually acknowledging that they have a problem. You want your heart to be changed. And I worked with that young man, and we developed accountability, and we worked on his heart. 
We work to develop a passion for Jesus Christ that he already had and a heart that was bent towards Jesus Christ. We went to work to strengthen it so that was stronger than anything else in his life. Now, did he still wrestle? Of course he did. But we were seeking together to develop the tools. And I thank, I thank God for that young man. His desire to grow in his walk with God was strong. Strong enough that he recognized his sin. And he sought out help to work with it. While David needs to be forgiven, he also needs to be restored. David needs a passion, his passion for God to be greater than his passion for sin. So what is your passion in life? What is your greatest passion? What do you desire in life? If you were to die today, what would people say you are living for? A person that is turned towards God will on his deepest level, his or her deepest level, desire to know God more than anything else. And while he or she will fight against sin, it will not be what defines them. Do you spend time with God in his word and in prayer? Uh, Again, when I taught high school Bible, students would say to me, I want to grow in my walk with God. I'd say, okay. Are you reading his word? Are you praying? No. I said, well, if if an athlete came to me and said, I want to make the team, or I want to get healthy, I'd say, "Are are you eating well? And are you exercising? Nope. Just going on genetics. Start where you're at. If you want your heart to be bent towards God... You should be spending time in his word. You should be spending time in prayer. This is not revolutionary. This is what we should be doing. And our part, a foundational part of our fight against sin is knowing the merciful God that loves us. Recognizing who he is. Growing in that relationship. If we seek forgiveness but not a changed heart, we desire to feel better but not be changed. Let me give you another example that I call bicycle theology. This is bicycle theology. Uh, It's just a term I made up. Suppose a friend of mine buys a bike, and I really desire his bike. So I'm starting to feel jealous. And I take matters into my own hands, and I steal his bike. I go to my neighborhood, which is a little bit of a distance, comfortable distance away from his neighborhood, and I bike around on his bike, feeling the the wind in my hair, the shifts so nice, brakes well. The only problem is at night, I'm starting to feel a little bit of guilt. I've stolen my friend's bike. So what do I do? I go back to my friend, and I say... I'm sorry. I stole your bike. Do you forgive me? My friend looks at me and says, Brian, you're a good friend. I forgive you. 
Relieved, I turn and I walk away. And then as I'm walking away, my friend says, hey, where's my bike? To which I respond, I'm not giving it back. I just felt bad and wanted your forgiveness. Bicycle theology. This is what, how we approach God. God, forgive my sins. Oh, but can I keep them? <laughs> Please? It helps me get through the day. It helps me get through the week. I still like my sins. No, give the bike back. Allow your, your conviction over sin to throw yourself on the mercy of God. But not only that, to receive the forgiveness and to allow him to work in your heart so that you love him more than whatever sin you are fighting. David goes on to say that his response to God's work in this life will be to witness God's forgiveness and to worship God. David has a duty to those around him, but is not a burden, it is a pleasure to speak of God's compassion. Uh, look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. A forgiven sinner with a changed heart cannot help but want to speak about God's forgiveness. Not because they've got it all together, not because they're better, but because they're broken and forgiven. And they say, oh, this is amazing. This is what relationship with God feels like. This is what it feels like to be forgiven, and I want it to overflow. It does not have to be artificial or forced, but it should flow from us. I've seen in North America far too many Christians that are comfortable arguing with other Christians, but not comfortable with sharing the simple gospel with their non-believing non neighbors. If that's you, consider what's going on. Uh, when we share about Taiwan, we talk about how it takes an open heart, an open refrigerator, and an open Bible. Let people know what you believe. Have courage to stand up for the truth you believe. And love people. If you lead with love and food, for some reason, food is important. Relate with people over food. Have them in your home. Share a meal together. Let the fact that you are a broken sinner saved by grace overflow to the community around you. David longs to speak about who God is to others and to praise God. Other people need to hear about the wonders of David's God. Other people need to hear about the wonders of your God. We serve a God that forgives sin and a God that changes lives. Christians are not perfect people. Christians are people who have recognized, like David, their own sinfulness and have asked God to forgive and to change their hearts. Uh, I'd like to close with a story about Stephen Kirsch Chapman. Uh, many of you know how he's a Christian musician for about the last 20, 25 years. 
sad part of his life was when his son was driving into their driveway and struck his five-year-old daughter. Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife were sharing this story once, and I was able to listen to it. Stephen Curtis Chapman mentions how he placed his daughter in this car, and he rolled his window down, and as they rushed to the hospital, he said, I screamed out to my son, Your father loves you, Will Franklin. He said, I didn't know if I would lose my daughter, but I thought I would. But I knew I couldn't lose my son at the same time. The death of Stephen Curtis Chapman's daughter was a tragic accident and in no way was sin. But what I want you to consider is when his son was most broken, love was shown. We see a God that when we are most broken, shows love. When we are at a place where we say, I am not lovable because of this, God says, I love you. It's like he rolls down the window and says, I love you. I don't care about the past. I love you. Our God is merciful. Our God is loving. Do you have hidden sin that needs to be brought into the light? Come to your Father. Seek forgiveness and a clean heart. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is a sermon about sin, but it is not a sermon about discouragement. It is a sermon about hope and relationship with God. And um, there's a song that we're going to be singing. I'm looking for my bulletin. (laughs) It's got buried in my notes. Oh, here it is. We're going to sing at the end. Come thou fount of every blessing. And I, I was reminded of this recently. The beginning of this, this song. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. We assume right from the beginning that it should say, Tune my heart to sing thy praise. But it's like a, we need a, our hearts to be constantly tuned like a piano. Tune it. And what do we sing? Thy grace. And then from that, it overflows into praise. Broken sinner, you are a child of God. Your hope in this world is a merciful God who sent his son to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your, your word to us is honest. Honest about our brokenness. Honest about our need. And yet honest about who you are. And how because of what you have done in sending your son, Jesus Christ, we can be brought into this relationship. We can be healed. We can be strengthened. And we can be equipped to share your love with others. We thank you for this opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.